You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Over 700,000 American lives have been lost due to COVID-19, including more than 56,000 in Florida and over 68,000 in Texas. And every leader should be focused on supporting efforts to save lives and end the pandemic. Despite the statistics cited by White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, the governors of Texas and Florida are leading a full-fledged assault on vaccine mandates. On Monday, Texas Governor Greg Abbott issued a broad executive order that bars virtually any COVID-19 vaccine mandate in the state. And on Tuesday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis made good on his threat to fine local governments that have vaccine mandates ordering Leon County to pay a $3.5 million penalty. We are going to stand for the men and women who are serving us. We are going to protect Florida jobs. We are not going to let people be fired because of a vaccine mandate. Joining me is Harold Krent, a professor at the Chicago-Kent College of Law. So how is DeSantis's $3.5 million fine likely to withstand a court challenge? I think it will stand if the state government has the authority under Florida law to enact such a ban. States use their authority under either the general powers to act in an emergency and confront a disaster to preclude employers in their state from mandating vaccines. This strikes some of us as odd or bizarre, but it does not likely violate any federal constitutional right. We have not recognized the federal constitutional right to pursue particular types of treatment for diseases. And so in the absence of any kind of federal legislation mandating vaccines, then it's within the state's right to preclude a ban. Let's turn to the vaccine mandate that OSHA has drafted and sent to the White House for review this week. Does the federal government have the power to mandate a vaccine in that way? So Congress has delegated to the president the power to ensure workplace safety. And one of the aspects of workplace safety is that workers be free from any kind of exposure to diseases during their working hours. So OSHA, which is the federal agency in charge of ensuring safety, regulates exposure to benzene, exposure to asbestos. And the argument here, which we will see, is that the administration believes that exposure to COVID fits in with the same kinds of measures that have been taken before to protect workers in both private and public workplaces. So is the legal test going to be whether or not there's an emergency? OSHA has the power to issue an emergency standard 
It doesn't take an effect till it's published. Right now, the target date is December 8th. And then supposedly under statute, which is kind of heroic, it has to create a permanent standard or withdraw the temporary standard within six months thereafter. But I think it might be helpful just to look at the language that the Congress used, because the question will be challenged in court if they determine that employees are, quote, exposed to grave danger from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful, then they can create a standard. So is there a grave danger from exposure? That's really going to be the question. It's one that hasn't been litigated much in court. OSHA has rarely issued a temporary emergency standard in the past. And so the private companies challenging OSHA's authority will say there is no longer a grave danger. We're sufficiently vaccinated, and therefore there is no power in the federal government to mandate vaccines in the workplace. So taking the situation in Texas, private businesses face this dilemma, violate the federal vaccine mandate or violate the state vaccine ban. Companies are in an unenviable situation, right? You have to either comply with the OSHA standard or with the mandate from the governor of Texas. And what's interesting from a legal perspective is Governor Abbott claims that this is an emergency, and in an emergency, he has these sort of inherent powers to regulate private businesses, which in some ways is a mirror image of what President Biden is arguing through OSHA as well. So obviously, if there's a conflict, usually the federal government wins out under the supremacy clause, at least with respect to federal instrumentalities, federal contractors, but probably will win out with respect to private companies as well. But that'll be up for the courts. And they'll have to determine two things, whether the agency has exceeded its authority in providing for this vaccine mandate. And secondly, even if it has, whether the state has the power to override it with respect to state employee situations. So if this question does get to the Supreme Court, how are the justices likely to rule? Congress does seem to have given the federal government the authority to regulate harmful substances in the workplace. And exposure to COVID is no big reach. So even though the current Supreme Court has articulated an interest in limiting the power of Congress to delegate wide areas of authority to the agencies, I think at least with respect to regulating the workplace, the Biden administration is on powerful ground. It's not unassailable. We've never done this before. It's unprecedented to have this kind of regulation reaching so deeply into the private workforce. So some members of the Supreme Court may be skeptical, but I think the language of the statute in terms of grave danger fits much more readily with what OSHA is trying to do with this temporary emergency standard. Thanks, Hal. That's Harold Krent of the Chicago-Kent College of Law. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. 
and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a painting of my aunt. She was taken off the walls of our home by the Nazis. And now you'd like to be reunited. Wouldn't that be lovely? And then there's justice. The film Woman in Gold is based on the true story of Maria Altman, a Jewish woman who won a battle with the Austrian government to regain ownership of a Gustav Klimt painting of her aunt after a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court involving the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. The justices have decided to take another case involving the same law to decide whether the heirs of a Holocaust survivor can regain a painting by French Impressionist Camille Pissarro that was stolen by the Nazis in 1939. My guest is M.C. Sangaila, chair of the appellate practice at Buckalter. M.C., tell us about the history of this 1897 painting, Rue Saint-Honoré, Afternoon Rain Effect. So... The Pizarro painting at issue in this case was purchased by the Casir family from a well-known art dealer who had acquired it from Pizarro himself. And it's a very special painting by Pizarro and, in fact, was created by Pizarro during the Dreyfus Affair, which involved a violent anti-Semitic movement in France. So he painted from his bedroom window there in France. So in any event, the Kassirs had this painting. It was passed down from generation to generation. It was a family treasure. It was on the living room wall at their home in Munich. And then under the growing shadow of Nazi anti-Semitism, Lily Kassir packed up her belongings and prepared to flee Germany in 1939. And the Nazis would only allow her an exit visa if she, quote unquote, sold them the painting, and she sold it to them for $360. After that, she never saw the painting again, and the Kassir family had no idea what happened to it, but it was eventually sold through an L.A. art gallery and now is part of a Spanish nonprofit organization and foundation that has a museum and has displayed the painting since 1993. This went to trial. What did the trial judge find? So actually, this case is like many of the Holocaust art recovery cases and that has a very long history of bumping up and down within the court system. So the litigation has been going on for 20 years. And this is, I think it's the fourth appeal of various issues in the case. 
And I was involved with the earlier Ninth Circuit proceeding in which summary judgment had been granted for the foundation against the Kassirs, and the Ninth Circuit overturned that, saying, no, we think there is a tribal issue of fact with regard to what Spanish law requires and who has proper right to the painting under Spanish property law, which has a different sort of adverse possession law than California law. And the Ninth Circuit said, so we're going to send it back to the district court and the district court will hold a trial. The district court held that trial and still concluded that the foundation properly has the painting and the concierge lost. And now they're challenging that on a fundamental question, which is which law do we apply under the Sovereign Immunities Act to decide the choice of law question? So is it federal common law that decides which law we apply, Spanish or California, or is it California law that decides whether California or Spanish law should apply. And they argue California law should apply, not Spanish law, and so the outcome would have been different. The heirs claim that California law never allows the holder of stolen property to obtain good title. That's frequently the argument that's made, which is you can't get good title from a thief, right? You can only get as good a title from someone as they had to give to you. And that is commonly the rule in U.S. law and various state laws. What's the rule in Spanish law? In Spain, it depends on kind of this question of really, like, how bad were you? You can get possessory rights, but it depends on your knowledge, your participation in that. In other words, you can get good title from a thief under certain circumstances if you are, to some extent, innocent of that had no idea that it was stolen, you know, all of these various things. Back to that question of willful blindness. Last term, the justices ruled that the Holocaust survivors who were suing couldn't press their claims for art stolen during World War II against Hungary and Germany in U.S. courts just yet. Does that give any indication of how the court might rule here? It's hard for me because I always hope, <laughs> I always hope that it's going to be positive for the errors in these cases. And I will say that they have been most interested in the Holocaust art cases involving various issues involving the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act that came up last term in the Germany case. They years ago granted the Maria Altman case because that also involved another issue with regard to Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. So they seem very interested in this particular statute and how and when it applies and, you know, the gateway to our court system. So we know Altman came out in favor of the claimant, and the Germany case, you know, was not favorable to the claimant. So I would say we we're going in with a 50-50 batting average of Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act and Holocaust art cases. So I'm hoping this one goes the way of Altman. Thanks, MC. That's MC Sangaila of Buckalter. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to join us weeknights at 10 p.m. Wall Street time for the Bloomberg Law Show. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.